All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another day of Christian Worldview with uh, Dr. Tony Bing. We appreciate you joining us. Of course, I said that already, didn't I? This is Tony Bean, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. I also serve as the Director of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm currently the interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church, where you're welcome to visit us if you don't have a church family or a church home. Uh, and even if you do, just come by for a Sunday. Don't want you to leave your church home, but you might want to come by and see what I do in the pulpit since you know what I do behind the microphone. All right, uh, we'll just go ahead and get started with behind the microphone stuff. Um, March 31st is going to be the last broadcast um, on his radio talk of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. In fact, March 31st is probably going to be the last broadcast of any program on his radio talk because his radio talk, 89.7 and 91.9, is going to become uh, something else. And I, I, I don't know for sure what that is at the moment. Um, I'm sure an announcement will be forthcoming, at, but that's not my uh, area, my responsibility, so I will leave that part out. Uh, Gary Miller, how long have you been here, Gary, with his radio? Uh, I started uh, Thanksgiving 1983. Yeah. Thanksgiving. So, so that's 30 years, right? I mean, you're coming up on, isn't it? That'd be 30 years in 2023 if you were to go all the way to 2023. So you've been here 29 40. years. 40. 40. Oh, that's right. Time flies when you're, time's fun when you're having flies, isn't it? <laughs> so anyway, um, Gary's been here a long time, and he is headed to retirement, which is well-deserved, and he's been planning for this for a while. They're getting the pasture ready. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're, they, they've they seeded it. They've got the, they, they have to put the fence up because, you know, Gary, <laughs> he'd be wandering around if they didn't have, you know, it wasn't enclosed space somewhere. But uh, anyway, he's going to be retiring on March 31st, and so they're just going to go ahead and take that as um, it'll be the end of his radio talk and the beginning of something new on these frequencies. So Gary and I have been doing this a long time together. I, I can't remember how long. as I've been doing it on and off. There was a stretch of about two and a half to three years out of the last 21 years that I was off the air. And then um, I was back on. I think it was two and a half, three years. It, it wasn't long, um, and that may be too long, may not be long enough. I just don't, uh, frankly, I don't remember exactly because I didn't categorize or, excuse me, catalog all that. So anyway, um, so I've been, I've been doing it since 2000. We started the program um, 2001 on April 15th, tax day. I just I remember that because we talked about taxes the first day and paying taxes. That was, that was my very first topic. And um, it's it's gone through different names. Um, you know, uh, of course, I've been with Hannah. Uh, I've been with Austin um, in, in terms of co-host. And they were obviously both just incredible. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about Hannah and Austin and the fact that they were willing to come in here and join me and get into the dialogue it just it just made the whole thing a lot of fun 
And I've enjoyed doing it by myself. I mean, I started out by myself, did it for most of the show, just me talking and talking to callers and talking about different topics. Sometimes Gary uh, chiming in. I mean, we've done that for a long time. Um, and I've enjoyed doing that. So what I'm going to do is sometime between now and March 31st, I'm going to have a plan. I've got a couple of meetings already scheduled this week to try to continue my part of the program in a different form. And I don't, I don't know where that's going to go. I've actually had um, a couple of conversations about the website. We, ha- we have a website that's connected to this show that I just don't use because, quite frankly, I, I haven't had the time. I mean, I do this show. I do the public policy. I do North Greenville University. I do interim pastor at work. You know the things that I've been involved in. So there just hasn't been time for me to sit down and go, okay, I need to work on this website. But I'm going to take the time to do that, and I'm going to get some others to help me. And um, there's a you know, good possibility um, the show will be on YouTube, that it'll, be on, it'll continue to be on Facebook, it'll be um, a, a podcast that's um, sort of um, redone. Because, you know, podcasts, you do a two-hour podcast, you have hour one, hour two, uh, it can be confusing. I'm probably, and I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm probably going to pare it down to 45 minutes, uh, probably do three topics in the mornings, and I'm, I'm still planning at this point to do it every day because I've been getting up at 4.30 and working on this stuff till 9 o'clock uh, long enough that there's no reason to change my schedule, so I'll just get up and do something different. I'll do the podcast, and while I'm doing the podcast, I'll try to put it live on Facebook and on YouTube and then maybe on the website as well. My plans for the website in the interim is, you know, I'm going to try to build up content. I'm going to put, it's not going to end up being National Review or Daily Wire or anything like that, but I've already talked to a few people who have agreed that they would like to put content on it. So it'll be more than just me. I'm going to write more. I'm going to start putting up articles, uh, writing on topics that I talk about in kind of a longer form. And then I'm going to invite others to do that. So we'll kind of have a website associated with the show in whatever form it takes that will um, be a conservative place that you can go to get South Carolina news as well as um, national news. I mean, this this show's always been driven by whatever was on my mind. And sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes not so good. But I'm going to pretty much continue that pattern. I'm going to try to just continue it being whatever, you know, whatever topics, whatever stories, whatever I've been tracking, um, then I'll comment on it. So it'll just be backed up by some writing. And of course, like I said, maybe a different format, a 45 minute podcast show that we broadcast live some way. I I don't know where all that's going to land. I don't know what the final form is going to look like, but it is going to, it, it will, my goal is to get everything in place by the end of February. And then starting in March, um, every day I'll be telling you, okay, this is where I'm going to be. This is where you can go. This is where you can hear me. Here's how you're, you can do it. And I'm going to do my best to carry on. Um, you know, I'm 65 years old, um, I, I, but I'm, I've got plenty of energy. I'm not ready to stop commenting on the radio. I'm, I'm working on ways to be able to keep doing 
the interviews that I do. I really enjoy talking to leaders in South Carolina, like Attorney General Alan Wilson. He's going to be on tomorrow. Uh, uh, Congressman Timmons will be on next week. Drew McKissick. I mean, having those people on and giving you access to them over the radio, I think that's important. And I'm going to try. I don't know how that'll work if I'm doing it in a different form, but um, I've got a couple of meetings tomorrow to start finding out what kind of equipment I need to have and exactly how I'm going to make this work. So his radio talk, 919-897. The programming that you've been listening to will uh, cease March 31st and come May 1st, there'll be something, uh, April 1st, there'll be something new um, on, on these frequencies. Uh, and again, I, and I'm not at liberty. I, I have an idea of what that's going to be, but I don't know for sure. So um, there'll be an announcement forthcoming about that whenever the, the decision is made to make it. Um, it's been great. Um, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I've, I've, you know, I can honestly say that I've, uh, it's been, uh, you know, it was hard at first to get up at four thirty and go through the news and try to come in here and sound coherent and make sense and, and hopefully in some way make a difference. But, um, uh, you know, I, I have no regrets about any of it. I, I've, I've loved it. And that's why I'm going to try to keep it going for those of you who might be interested. By the way, Tom Brady made an announcement yesterday about retirement, and he held off. I, I mean, we, we were – he was concerned that we were going to make this announcement today before he had a chance to talk about his retirement, and he knew that nobody would pay attention to him once we started talking about the fact that his radio talk was, was going to change formats and um, that Gary was retiring. So he decided he wanted to preempt us. He, you know, I, I talked to him about it. I said, look, Tom, um, we're going to have to announce this today. And he said, well, I, I got to get my announcement. I'm going to get mine out yet, you know, the day before. So you're, you're doing Thursday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to do Wednesday because nobody's going to pay any attention to me once you all decide to, that you're going to make your announcement. So, Tom, I appreciate that, Tom. Uh, here's his announcement that he made yesterday. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first. So I uh, won't be long-winded. Like you only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So I uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. All right, that's it. That's uh, Tom Brady yesterday. Now, you can decide or not if you think that's the real deal, if you think he's really going to retire. I think this is probably it because he's actually got a gig um, at Fox. He's going to go over there, um, according to the story that I read, and be a Fox sports commentator, join their team. Uh, There's a possibility there's been some discussions in the past about his political aspirations. He might want to run for the Senate. So he could do that. And I had a discussion with one of my friends yesterday about that. Uh, I, I, I don't think there's any way in the world that he runs as a conservative. Some people think that he's conservative because he was friends with Donald Trump for a while. 
Um, but when Joe Biden got elected, I mean, you know, you had uh, basically you had Tom Brady celebrating Joe Biden's election and uh, appearing with him and all this kind of stuff. And I and I know he he did that because of winning the Super Bowl. And a lot of people cut him some slack on that. And said, well, he's got to get up there and do that because that's what you do when you're the winning quarterback and you win the Super Bowl and you go talk to the president. Maybe so. Maybe he will be a conservative. That'd be great. Um, but one thing's for sure. Um, he's the greatest quarterback to ever put on a uniform. And I know people can debate that. I, when you start talking about the best of anything uh, and start putting a list together, you're going to get opinions coming from every corner. But I really think this is objectively true. I, I think the evidence, the weight of it is just too much. Uh, no one has done what he has done uh, really in any sport I mean I guess maybe tennis you could talk about the number of grand slam championships that uh, the big three have run won you know you got uh, Djokovic uh, Federer and uh, what's the other guy's name that's won a whole bunch of grand slams he's kind uh, of in the in, I can in, see him yeah I see him too but I can't think of his name <laughs> anyway they're um, those guys uh, you yeah. could you know you start adding up and, and debating about who's the greatest of, the, of those three, you could get into a legitimate debate. I don't see anybody being in the conversation as being greater than Tom Brady when it comes to being a quarterback of a football team. I mean, the things he's done, the yards he's amassed, the titles that he's won, all the way from divisional titles to Super Bowl titles. And, and we'll probably – I'm going to step back and probably do a segment one day just because I love football and talk a little bit about those numbers and how they compare to second place, for example. But you have to remember he's 45 years old and just sheer longevity in the NFL. Success plus having the opportunity to have that success over a longer period of time than anybody else uh, in the NFL is – mainly what makes him the GOAT. I mean, the, honestly, the greatest of all time. So I've never been a big Tom Brady fan. I was always a Peyton Manning fan. Um, I really liked Brett Favre. Um, I liked, you know, there's a lot of quarterbacks that I've liked that have done well. Um, but this guy, you know, whether he's my favorite or not, one of the reasons I didn't like him is he was so good he would beat the teams that I wanted to get to the Super Bowl. And he did that pretty regularly. So – um, but I give him credit for that, you know? I mean, credit goes where credit is due. Isn't that what they say? You've you got to be honest about it. And he's got to be one of the greatest quarterbacks, if well, the greatest quarterback, I think, of all time. All right, this is not a big story, but it's something to think about. I was uh, checking out Daily Wire, and I heard some stuff that Candace Owens has been talking about, about artificial intelligence. And I... I know how advanced it is. It has gotten. I don't play around with that stuff very much. Um, I have friends of mine who, you know, there are already websites out there that you can go to that's got artificial intelligence. You can give it an assignment. You can ask it questions. You can ask it to write an essay. It'll write an essay. You can, it, you know, there's. it's pretty incredible what it does. I will tell you this. I, I may have told you the story, but when we were at Stand for Life, the national conference, you know, we, we had a, a groups of us around a table talking about what are the top five issues facing the pro-life community. 
and how do we address them? What's what are what is the thing that we need to do? The top five things to make sure that being pro-life and pro-life priorities continue to advance and actually you know take hold and do better. So we sat around the tables. We moved around from table to table. We all made our list. We compiled them, and then. Philip Bethencourt, who is a pastor at College Station in Texas, uh, he was kind of leading the whole thing. And he got up there and he said, you know, I, I checked out the artificial intelligence site, and I can't even tell you the name of it. I should be able to tell you, but it's a, there's a place you can go, something about Gab, and you can um, give it an assignment, and it'll work out a problem for you. And it's pretty amazing what it does. So he thought it would be interesting to ask it the question, what are the top five things that if you're pro-life you could do that would advance the pro-life cause, and particularly from a Christian perspective, because he put in the element for the churches. If the, if this is going to happen, it's going to have to be led by the church, so how would you do it if you were going to lead in the churches? And the five that he gave were similar or almost exactly the same as the five we all came up with, and and the artificial intelligence did it in about two minutes. It took us the better part of an hour going to different tables until we reached a consensus, and then this thing spits out the top five. But what's interesting is that it added one, prayer. And none of us, you know, here we are, ministers and nonprofit leaders and Christian leaders in different states— and we didn't even, because of, of the focus of the conversation, we were so focused on methodology. You know, what is it we need to do to change the culture by doing something in the culture to make it better? And we didn't even come up with prayer. It took the artificial intelligence. I had to have my computer, essentially, tell me that I needed to pray, which I found that pretty interesting. But in any event, artificial intelligence is crossing a lot of boundaries very quickly. And one of the boundaries it's crossed is it can sound. There's a company out there that can make take your voice. All you got to do is say a few words, and it will take your voice and reproduce it almost exactly. And all you have to do is dictate what you want it to say. And whatever you tell it to say, it says it in your voice. And it sounds like you uh, to the point that it can fool a lot of people. The company's name is Eleven Labs, um, and it's called an AI audio generator. Um, and again, you essentially type into your computer the phrase you want somebody to say via the generator. It takes a sampling of their voice and then uses it to create sound bites that sound exactly like the person that you're imitating. Now, I'm gonna I'm I'm doing this from Candace Owens' uh, website here at Daily Wire because she decided, you know, her and Matt Walsh are colleagues at Daily Wire, but they kind of get into this back and forth all the time, and, you know, they're at each other. I, I really think they try to make it sound like it's real. I think it's all friendly, and I, I think they're doing it just to kind of boost each other um, as, as far as the number of people that tune in. So, anyway, they— Candace decided, because she likes the sweet baby gang, this thing that Matt Walsh does, he likes to call his listeners the sweet baby gang. And Candace said, you know, I really want that. I want those listeners. I want them to come over. And she's, Matt Walsh has decided that I deserve to have them. 
And what she did was she got a, a sample of Matt Walsh's voice and then told the computer, the AI generator, to say this. Now listen to this. Today on the Matt Walsh Show, I'll be telling you why I'm formally stepping down as the leader of the Sweet Baby Gang. I've searched long and hard for a successor and have finally found one. She is the host of my favorite podcast ever and has the best taste in bottled water. First, I have to admit that I was wrong. Dasani is absolute trash. Secondly, I am announcing that I am formally handing control of the Sweet Baby Gang to my dear friend, Candace Owens. Okay, that was not Matt Walsh. I mean, that, that just, just stop and think about that for a second. I don't know how many of you listen to Matt Walsh. Um, you, you may not. If you don't listen to him, it's not as fascinating to you as if you do. But if you've ever listened to his podcast or gone to anything that he does at Daily Wire, and even a few times that I've played clips on this program of Matt Walsh saying something, for me to hear that, and because I listen to him not every day, but at least two or three times a week, for me to hear that and to, it, to know that that's not Matt Walsh, there's no way that you could have told me that and I would have believed it if I didn't know about this program. And the scary thing about it is it's not very, well, it's incredibly sophisticated. But when I say it's not sophisticated, I mean it's just very simple to use. All it needs is a sample of your voice. You just speak a few words. It's not like you've got to sit there and read the Declaration of Independence or something so that it gets all the nuance of your voice. No, it, it figures that out on its own. So you say a sentence or two. And then you start feeding it things to say, and it will sound just like you. So you're telling me the Tom Brady retirement announcement was really AI. He's still playing. No, because it was accompanied by video. So, uh, I mean, you know, so far they haven't been able to, to – well, actually, they can generate um, a person that looks like you. If you go back and think about The Mandalorian – Right. I mean, they had Luke Skywalker show up. In the, and by the way, if you haven't watched Mandalorian to this point, and it's coming back on, they got a brand new season coming out, and I cannot wait. But anyway, if you haven't watched Mandalorian, I don't want to ruin it for you. But at the end, Luke Skywalker shows up. Not Luke Skywalker 2023, but Luke Skywalker 1980, 1978, 1980. I mean, and it looked. He walks in. He does the Jedi thing. I mean, and you're watching him do this. So already we have the computer generation technique or ability to replicate somebody, and now you can replicate their voice to the point that their own mother would think that it was them talking. Um, <laughs> so now we could have Brett Favre come back out of retirement again. Yeah, well, the problem is he can't play. I mean, he can't. It have to be virtual. But it he would sound like him. He can't actually go out on the football field and throw a pass. They haven't figured that one out yet. But who knows? I mean, I, I'm not trying to underplay or overplay this. I'm just telling you that this is now, it, it's a it's a capability, and it's not expensive. It's not something that you that you know just normal people can have access to it. So you think about what this could mean in a courtroom. What uh, think about a divorce, for example, and you've got a husband or a wife, one of the plaintiffs in the divorce, they get the voice of the other person and they can make that person say anything they want to on tape and present it in court as evidence. Now, 
they get caught doing that, and I'm sure you know they would not only throw the book but drop the library on their head. But how do you get caught? Um, do you have an expert that can tell the difference when it's uh, electronically generated? I mean, I'm listening to this recording of Matt Walsh that's not Matt Walsh but was generated, and I can't tell the difference. Now, I'm not that sophisticated when it comes to that kind of stuff, but it would fool the average person for sure. And there's all kind of conspiracy theories out there. I hesitate to even tell you what they are, but that's just like the the plane that went down uh, at 9-11, the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. You know, they say that some of the family members say it didn't sound like their family member saying goodbye on the telephone. It sounded a little strange. They said things that they wouldn't normally say. So now the conspiracy theorists have grabbed that, and they've said, well, the CIA has had this technology for 20 years plus, and so they used it when they faked the plane going down in Pennsylvania, and all of 9-11 was a fake, so they had to generate these telephone calls. I get it. Look, I, th- I think that's absolutely ludicrous. And it, uh, people that subscribe to that kind of stuff, um, I well, I don't know. I, I you, you need to find a hobby, something to distract your mind occasionally but because you've got way too much time on your hands. But the fact that this, is, this technology is available now to the public and that people can replicate your voice and make it say whatever they want, um, it's, I mean— it's fascinating, it's incredible, it's amazing, and it's just a little bit scary. Okay, today's Groundhog Day. Poxitani Phil has already done his thing. He came out, saw his shadow, went back in. So six more weeks of winter, everybody. If you were thinking we're going to have a, a respite, maybe a little sunshine, maybe a little warmer temperatures, nope. We got six more weeks of winter to endure. Now, that's two weeks more than or less, rather, than the future of his radio talk, 919-897, because we only have, we, we have eight weeks, and so we'll actually get into maybe the springtime after the six weeks of winter Poxitani Phil has predicted. We'll have a couple of weeks of nice weather as we wrap up the show. Um, I'm, I'll be saying this a lot today just because I'm, I don't want to talk about it every day between now and March 31st. But Gary Miller's retiring, and he will be leaving March 31st. And his radio talk, 919-8987, those frequencies are going to stay. They're not going to go away. They're just going to become something else. And the something else is going to be announced a little bit later on. But I wanted to give everybody plenty of notice that the radio show, this radio show, and all the shows that you listen to over here will no longer be available um, here starting March 31st. I am working on a plan to continue doing the radio show in some form. It's not going to be a radio. It won't be on radio. It'll be podcast, YouTube, Facebook, whatever I can come up with. Um, I'm having some meetings this week. This is above my technological uh, knowledge, but I got plenty of people around me, thankfully, uh, who can show me and tell me how to do this and to keep the show going in some form. So if you enjoy the program, um, thank you. And as we get into the month of March, I'll start to hopefully have the plan in place, and I'll be telling you how you can continue to follow this show. All right. Yesterday, I talked about the fact that, you know, Nikki Haley's getting into the race. And if you remember, uh, I told you she's going to announce her campaign on February 15th. 
Now, we're going to begin to get more and more candidates in, but I want you to think back to 2016. By this date in 2016, there were 10 candidates announced running for the Democrat nomination. There were seven Republicans in the race. By this date, leading up to 2020, the 2016 race. I mean, that, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. Because now we've got one candidate in on the Republican side. And Joe, while Joe Biden hasn't announced his run for the White House as a Democrat, it's likely that he's going to. He's just trying to get all this document mess uh, cleared up and out of the way and get the Justice Department to make it go away for him and the National Archives before he actually announces. So we're going to have we're about to have two two Republican candidates. So it'll be Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And what I talked about yesterday is when I said that Haley's going to announce her campaign, I said she's announcing her campaign to clear the road to be one of many that will follow that will clear the road for Donald Trump to get the nomination. And some people are saying, well, that's not fair. That's not why she's running. She's running because she wants to be president, and she's ha she has support. That's right. But I don't think there's anybody um, that thinks that she has a legitimate shot at winning the Republican nomination. Now, these people get in for a variety of reasons. They get in to raise money. They get in to raise their profile. They get in to become a candidate for another office. They, they, they're part of the Republican group that's running for president. Whoever gets the nomination, if that person becomes president, then they generally look at the ones that were running in the primary as possible cabinet positions or ambassadors or whatever. So maybe even a vice presidential candidate. And of course, for Nikki Haley, that would be something that would be desirable because she's a, a Southern Republican female who's also a minority. And that's something that probably a Republican top-of-the-candidate person would be interested in. And so she's running to raise her profile. She's doing—and there's another reason. To be fair, presidential primaries are tricky things. All kinds of things can happen. We don't know what's going to happen with Donald Trump. He's 78 years old. You realize the last time he did this, he was 70. Those eight years, particularly 70 to 78, makes a big difference in his energy level, in his, you know, now he seems to be, you know, he seems to have the same energy level, seems to be doing fine. But all of that can change. So you don't want to be you don't want to not, if you think you want to be president, you want to make sure you get in the race so that when events happen that would, might open up a path for you, you can't wait for those events to happen and then get in the race. You've got to already be in the race before, if you're going to have an actual shot. So I acknowledge all that. But the plain truth of the matter is, to me, this is beginning to look a lot like what happened in 2016 where you have a bunch of people get in that are really don't uh, don't don't have a realistic chance of winning the nomination but they divide up the vote sufficiently so that the one person who perhaps does have an opportunity to challenge Trump and make it a race loses enough support that they can't get the nomination Trump runs up the middle again and he gets he becomes the Republican nominee now I've got two stories today one that backs up my contention and the other that challenges it. So I thought it would be interesting to take a look at both of them. The first one is from National Review. It's coming from Philip Klein. 
And he's talking about the fact that the polling data that's early, that's coming out of South Carolina, is showing that this idea of Nikki Haley and likely Tim Scott getting in the race would affect South Carolina greatly. For example, right now, if according to a Trafalgar poll, Trump is ahead of DeSantis in South Carolina, 43 to 28. But then you have Nikki Haley, who had 12% of the vote in that Trafalgar poll. You've got Tim Scott, who has 14% of the vote in the Trafalgar poll. So let's just assume that supporters of Nikki Haley and Tim Scott were not going to vote for Donald Trump. Now, maybe some of them would. I mean, I can't assume that they wouldn't, but if they're already latched onto somebody other than Trump, then part of that decision is that they looked at Trump and decided, not this time, I'm going with this person. So you take those two people out, and if all of that vote went to DeSantis, if all of that support shifted over to DeSantis, DeSantis is up 54 to 43. Without Nikki Haley, I mean with Nikki Haley, and with Tim Scott in the race, DeSantis has got 23%, Trump's at 43, which is about his base plus some of these voters that are in there that may be reluctant, but they're in because Trump's the announced candidate. So, you know, this kind of bolsters my contention is that if this race, let's say New Hampshire, Iowa, Haley and Tim Scott being from South Carolina or have connect, having connections to South Carolina, obviously. Uh, Nikki Haley was governor. Tim Scott's our senator. If you look at Iowa and New Hampshire, let's suppose for a minute that they don't do very well, well in Iowa or no, New Hampshire. They come in fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe even uh, third. And, uh, if they come in third, one of them, then that could indicate that they're going to hang in there because they've got enough support to hang in there. But um, let, let's say that, that they come in down the line, but they don't want to drop out because South Carolina. I mean, they both have ties to South Carolina. They both feel like that they can get enough votes in South Carolina to maybe turn the thing around. Well, that's not likely to happen. Probably when they come to South Carolina, they're going to end up with about these vote totals. 12% for Haley, 14% for Tim Scott. Now, Tim Scott's not in the race yet. When he gets in, this all could change and probably will for a while because once his name gets associated with running, he's immediately going to gain support. But is that going to, the question is, is that going to hold? So South Carolina could be the place, which it's, it's been the place before, where candidates, they, they do well in New Hampshire, they do well in Iowa, and then things change in South Carolina, or the opposite. They don't do that well in Iowa and New Hampshire. They come to South Carolina and win. So South Carolina, again, becomes a pivotal state in determining who the Republican nominee is going to be. And if you've got Nikki Haley and Tim Scott pulling anywhere above 10% of the vote, even I'd say anywhere above 5% of the vote, in an election, and you've got Ron DeSantis as the main contender against Donald Trump, once he gets in, then Trump likely wins in South Carolina because Haley and Scott will siphon off those votes. 
And, look, I'm not saying that Tim Scott can't win South Carolina. I'm not saying that Nikki Haley can't win. But I'm saying right now it's more likely than not that they're not going to win the state because it's more likely than not that neither one of them is going to be the nominee. They're going to be in that group of vote-getters that people really like, but given a choice between them and Trump and DeSantis, that when it comes right down to it, um, they're, they're going to hold their base, but they're not going to get enough votes to overcome either one of them. So you're talking about third and fourth down the line, likely. likely. So anyway, that's the Trafalgar poll and Klein writing today for National Review kind of backs up my contention that this whole thing could look a lot like 2016. Now, there's another um, article today at National Review that says, look, we need to quit talking about that because the circumstances are very different this time, and they give three reasons why it's not likely that we're going to see the same thing happen in 2024 that we saw in 2016. And here's Jake. Thanks for hanging on, Jake. Good morning, Dr. Bean. Good, Good. to hear from you, and um, I just want to say congratulations to Gary on retirement. All right, uh, just want to get to my point. I voted for Ted Cruz in the 2016 primary, completely behind him. Yep, so me I too. I did vote for Trump in yep. the general election yep. uh, both times. Yep. But this time, I'm probably leaning more toward DeSantis if he get uh, if he gets in because I, I like Tim Scott. Uh, I don't know if Nikki Haley has the potential to win, but as far as values and the way that DeSantis won. Uh, I believe he has the best shot at winning and being a great messenger for conservatism right. uh, as compared to a Trump. But those are my thoughts, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll keep it up till March 31st and then figure out what's next for this show. Okay. Um, yes, uh, that's those are essentially my feelings. I mean, I, I like DeSantis. I love Tim Scott. I mean, I think he's one of the best leaders that we have. Um, I think that his, if, if he could be president of the United States, I mean, if, if I could wave a wand and have what I want, and we have these conversations all the time about the difference between what I want and what's possible. We're going to talk about that again in a minute, about the South Carolina Senate and some action they're going to take today. So um, I, that would be great to have Tim Scott as president of the United States. I don't I just don't think right now he he on the the stage with the players that are going to step up, I don't think he can win. I don't think he can get enough support to beat Trump. Um I think the only person that can get enough support to beat Trump out of the nomination is Ron DeSantis. And we'll find out more about that when DeSantis gets in the race. I started to say if he does, he's going to. Uh, it's just a matter of when. So, um, you know, that that's why I'm with you, Jake. I, I'm going to I'm likely going to support Ron DeSantis for president uh, that if, if Tim Scott announces, I'll reassess that uh, because of the respect that I have for him and the fact that I think that he could do a wonderful job. But we, we've got to look and see how these early primaries turn out and where people fall in the early primaries, not just where they fall as far as the pecking order, but how much support did they get? You know, it's one thing to come in third with 21% of the vote. 
It's another thing to come in third with 8% of the vote or uh, to come in third or fourth with 7 or 8% of the vote. If the vote total percentage is higher and it's closer, you know, you've got, you've got somebody that gets 28%, somebody that gets 25%, and somebody that gets 22%. That's different than somebody getting 34% and everybody else kind of scraping together single digits. If that happens, that's kind of a tell. It's kind of telling you, okay, these candidates over here, people like them, but there's not enough support for them to actually get the nomination. And, of course, we won't know that till everybody gets in, so it's really early. Um, uh, this is coming. You know, I, I, I said there were two stories. One that kind of backs up my contention that it's going to be a Donald Trump running up the middle taking the nomination. Uh, this is from Dan McLaughlin at National Review, and he says there's three reasons that this cycle is different from the other election cycle where that happened back in 2016 where Trump just – a whole bunch of people in the field. Trump ran up the middle, got the nomination. First, Trump's opponents aren't the same. At no time did a single Trump opponent dwarf all the others in public polling, fundraising, name recognition, popularity with conservative activists and media, and capacity for driving the news cycle in the way that Ron DeSantis does right now. See, that's, I think that's a great point. DeSantis has the same type of appeal and the same attraction from of the media and way more support and name recognition than anybody who got in to run against Donald Trump. So nobody else is in his league. DeSantis' status as the big 2022 winner in a year of Republican losers helps him stand out. His perch as governor of the nation's third largest state gives him the ability to create news, and he's a favorite of the big megaphone conservative media outlets such as Fox News. None of the four sitting governors in the 2016 field, Chris Christie, John Kasich, Scott Walker, and Bobby Jindal, combine DeSantis's combative conservatism with a large state platform and a state's legislature willing to follow his lead in laying out an agenda. So even if some GOP donors are timid, the $200 million re-election campaign run by DeSantis in 2022 leaves him with a massive war chest and the likelihood that he will outraise Trump who started 2023 with $25 million in the bank after transferring $60 million to a pro-Trump super PAC. So that's the first reason. That's the first difference. The candidates are not the same. And the candidates that are running this time are not on an equal playing field. You've got DeSantis as the main obstacle to Trump, and then you've got everybody else. So that's the way we are right now, and DeSantis is not even in the race yet. So I think that says a lot about that. I, I agree with McLaughlin that that's different, and that could make the difference. I still think multiple candidates would cut into DeSantis' popularity. 